Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. Today, Karen and I are very pleased to be able to welcome a special guest onto the show because today we are joined by Dr. Daksha Hirani. Now, Daksha is a chartered clinical psychologist. She's Associate Fellow of the British Psychological Society and she's a member of the Healthcare Professional Council. Daksha's had over 20 years of experience in the field of clinical psychology and crucially, one of her specialist areas is working with those who have suffered from narcissistic abuse, whether that be at the hands of a partner, a parent, a sibling, friend, work colleague or boss or anyone else. Daksha has a private practice in London and if you want to reach her, her website is www.parmi.co.uk and that's Parmi, P-A-R-M-I. So thank you so much for joining us, Daksha. Thank you very much. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about complex PTSD. Everyone's heard of PTSD, a post-traumatic stress disorder, but most people haven't heard of complex PTSD, and this this is relevant, I think, to narcissistic abuse. So could you, could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, if you look at uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, that can only occur if there has been a trauma. Mm-hmm. And narcissistic abuse is trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's trauma upon trauma upon trauma that's happening every day. Insidiously, sometimes you're not even aware of it, but you just know that your sense of self is being eradicated. Mm-hmm. So complex PTSD is something that's that's actually come into being recently, and it's now the the sort of the diagnostic criteria are actually is now thinking of how they can in, incorporate this because it presents with all the post traumatic stress disorder symptoms, mm-hmm. and you've got the anxiety, the panic attacks, the flashbacks, and so on. But then it also goes to uh, where the person is able is, is has difficulty controlling their emotions. They're volatile. They they might be uh, getting very angry and then very sad. You know, this this very ups and downs. Yeah. yeah. And then you put the sort of being distrustful towards the world, not trusting their own gut. No, no. 
And then there's the, a feeling that they're left with an emptiness and hopelessness that no matter what they do, nothing changes in their lives. And there's this sense of, I just give up. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the learned helplessness worth- again, isn't it, that you mentioned before? Absolutely. It's the learned helplessness that, that, that makes the complex PTSD even worse. Unless somebody has gone through narcissistic abuse, mm-hmm. it's very difficult for the other person to really understand what they're going through. And as somebody with complex PTSD, and if you find yourself around people who just don't get it, you know, you'll feel like nobody around you can understand what you're mm-hmm. going through. So you really feel dreadfully alone. Mm-hmm. And you have difficulty forming relationships, you get physical symptoms uh, with it, and you get these regular suicidal feelings that uh, go on top of that because you think, well, what's the point of living? So it can be extremely, extremely debilitating. Does that happen throughout the relationship? As you said, it's complex, so it's an accumulation of lots of traumas over time so does it happen throughout the relationship or does it happen towards the end of a relationship or does it just kind of increase with time what's the kind of natural history of it how does it work if you're in a narcissistic relationship the narcissist's primary aim is to ensure that they can get supply Mm -hmm. so if they're going to wound you completely very quickly and drastically and completely you're going to leave Mm -hmm. So they don't get their yeah. supply. So they do little, little cuts, little cuts, little yeah. cuts. And, and what that does is that it, uh, it means that your mental health will deteriorate. Mm-hmm. And, but you, it won't quite hit the complex uh, post-traumatic stress yet mm-hmm. because they're going to be giving you that adoration. They'll be giving you that love bombing from time to yes. time. And you'll be getting that little bit of uh, uh, feeding yes. of your own uh, insecurities. Mm-hmm. Then when the penny actually drops that this is this is no longer a place where you wish to operate and the narcissist goes on full annihilation mm-hmm. mode, that's when your complex PTSD is most likely going to be at its most severe. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there it's you, you're getting uh, bombarded left, right and center, overwhelmed and so on. And then once the narcissist has moved on, you will still continue to experience that because the, the trauma, your sense of self, of who you were, you want to actually rec- recognize yourself. Yeah. I get clients who come to say, you know what? I don't know who I am. This is not who I am. I was this yeah. confident, amazing, go-getter. Life was amazing. I was so happy. Mm. And then they took away all mm. of this. And I'm thinking nobody can take away anything that you don't actually mm. give away. Mm. And that's one of the hardest things, isn't it, for them to come to terms with in, in many ways, because they're already blaming themselves. They're already taking responsibility quite often. But that's part of what they do have to take responsibility for, is that they did actually give give that away. You know, it's a, it's a small part of, of the whole picture, but an essential part of healing is taking that first step to sort of taking responsibility for for your part in it which was that you did give it away you know you shouldn't beat yourself up about it but you did give it away you need to accept that you need to 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 be aware of that I think absolutely and and to have compassion for yourself utmost compassion for yourself that you gave it because of maybe some beautiful reasons maybe you were empathetic towards that person maybe uh you know you were always thinking of the good of the other person they're not bad reasons of why you gave it away but you gave it away nonetheless. Now, the, the key is to learn how do you protect yourself. And that's another story. Mm. So it's a harsh one to accept. And, and this is the, the bottom line, Supriya. 
once you accept that you were a hundred percent responsible mm-hmm. for the narcissistic abuse, and I know this is like quite a shocking mm-hmm. thing to say, mm-hmm. that's the only thing that then beautifully gives you a hundred percent of power. The power to therefore rise above yeah. it because actually that person has nothing over yes. you that's exactly that's exactly right and it, that is hard for people to sort of take on board and we so often say oh it was not your fault and, and it, it kind of wasn't but then again it kind of was you know it wasn't that you, your fault that you were targeted but then the fact that you gave it away as you say um it is is your fault in inverted commas but yes you're right it gives you the power um you, you've done that you've now got power over it you've got control over it and you can you can stop that from happening and you know what I would do, Surprise! I would do away with the word fault and put in that it was absolutely essential in your journey, in your journey towards your life to learn those mm-hmm. lessons. So we twist it right? in the same way the narcissist is seen as a teacher. Mm-hmm. We see these reasons of why we, we put ourselves in the situations as opportunities. These are beautiful yeah. opportunities that actually present themselves that we say, aha, uh-huh. And now I can actually grow, yes. like you were saying, you know, use this as an opportunity, as a sense of growth. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Often the people that I deal with are the people who are currently going through um, divorce and often the narcissist is making claims of parental alienation against them or they're making claims of, of child abuse um, and they're dragging them through the courts and they're annihilating them financially and psychologically and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, I say this to people, you know, this is an opportunity for growth, but um I know it never it doesn't feel like it um in the in the early stages whilst they're being annihilated. So as a clinical psychologist, what treatments do you actually recommend for complex PTSD? Firstly, the trauma is going to be in the whole of your being. It's going to be in your thought process, in the mind, in the limbic system, mm-hmm. and the way your whole physiology reacts to that. So I would normally do uh, I do EMDR, mm-hmm. which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing as a therapeutic mm-hmm. tool to get the clients to process some of the trauma so that their bodies are not experiencing that physiological trigger to the extent that it normally mm-hmm. does when the narcissist actually hits them with mm-hmm. stuff. So they don't feel so helpless because the bite flight response is so triggered that they can't actually think. Yeah. And uh, when somebody is in that state, there is no way that you're going to be able to tell them that this is an opportunity for growth. They'll just want yeah. to box you and, yeah. and hit you on. And it's like, what the, yeah. you know, get out of yeah. my way. Like, don't you dare invalidate yeah. me. Yeah. So the thing about EMDR is that's what it does. It gets them to, to be able to think a little bit more clearly. And then you've got a therapeutic tools like acceptance and commitment therapy, mm-hmm. where you you sort of look and uh, see what is it that you value yourself in your life. A lot of the times when people have suffered narcissistic abuse, you'll find that they end up leading a life that is not necessarily the life that they envisaged for themselves mm-hmm. because they were living according to somebody else's agenda. Mm-hmm. So we start to look at what that life would look like and what it would take to step towards there. And we do it in the kindest, gentlest of ways that feel manageable for the clients uh, through compassion focused work so that they are continuously being empowered now all of this is happening uh you know in steps incremental steps that is actually possible for Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. and at the right time sometimes it's not the right time and they're not ready for it and in that case they need to go through some of the, the the unpleasant sensations that they have to go through i always say if you've been through narcissistic abuse 
don't feel like you've got to be super strong. If there are moments and days where you just have to bawl your eyes out and cry and really rage and scream at a pillow, yeah. go for it. Do yeah. it because your body just needs to let that yeah. out. And we've, we've mentioned this um, in the book. We have a section on kind of, it's almost like emergency measures. It just punch your pillow and, and scream and cry and do whatever it is that you need to do. Um, EMDR, I've once heard being described as a sort of way of processing um, thoughts that are sort of an, an events that haven't, haven't been processed. So they keep coming back. They haven't been relegated to the right bit of the brain, the kind of deep storage area of the brain they're sort of stuck in a halfway house and they need to be sort of processed and put into the correct bit of the brain so that they're no longer popping up and re-traumatizing you I mean is that a reasonable way of describing it do you think absolutely spot on Supriya you know the thing is if you if you look at the brain you've got the the left hemisphere of the brain the left part of Mm -hmm. the brain um, it stores all the memories and the stories and all the sort of images of things that have Mm -hmm. happened and you've got the right side of the brain that stores all the emotions and the feelings. Mm-hmm. Now, when somebody has gone through trauma, the two brains don't necessarily interact with each other and, and gel very, very well together. So what EMDR does, by bilaterally stimulating both the hemispheres, left and the right, you sort of bringing together the thought process and the physiological sensations that go with it together to reprocess. You know, first you desensitize, mm-hmm. The, the sensations and then once they're desensitized you can then reprocess it so that it can then go and get stored into the deep uh, part of yourself where you can still learn from your experience mm-hmm. so the very thing that might have traumatized you you can see it very clearly in technicolor but you're not blindsided by it you're not blindsided because it's almost like you're watching it exactly. on tv you're not really in it and you know you're in it you know that it's the past you know it's no longer present and, and you're in a safe place. So many people have sort of told me that they've had EMDR and it's been amazingly effective. So I do think it's it's definitely something that people who are listening should, should consider and think about. What I think was very important is that you remember to consider EMDR with a therapist who understands narcissistic mm-hmm. abuse. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you will not get the benefit that you know is possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to ask you, because a lot of this is about seeing things from another perspective as well. Um, and as, as we've talked about, it's about uh, listening to your body, listening to, the, to, to your thoughts, listening to your feelings, uh, listening to your gut. I find that mindfulness has been an amazingly effective tool for many of my clients and also actually for myself. And uh, I wonder what, what you think about that, the idea meditation and mindfulness together. Is that something you recommend to people? Oh, absolutely. Supriya, one of the reasons why I didn't mention mindfulness Mm -hmm. is because that forms the foundation of everything I do. Uh, You know, it's, it's, I don't do anything without putting that in place. There's a reason why everybody's talking about it and everybody's so excited about it because it is so powerful as a technique. It literally rewires your brain. Uh, completely such that you're no longer reacting to the same things that you are traumatized by in in a way, in the same way that EMDR Mm -hmm. will do. Mm -hmm. In the same way you found mindfulness very, and meditation very Mm -hmm. helpful. I have, I think without mindfulness, I would not have overcome some of my own narcissistic Mm -hmm. abuse. Mm -hmm. It is the foundation under which uh, I think it's, uh, 
you, you start. Yeah, absolutely. And there are ways of doing yes. that. I mean, there's, there's mindfulness-based cognitive therapy or there's mindfulness-based stress reduction. And those, so MBCT and MBSR, they tend to be eight-week courses, obviously within this pandemic um, world. Possibly it's all online now, but... It used to be um, that you'd go for a couple of hours, a session for a couple of hours every week um, in a group setting and you'd be taught um, all these techniques. And then you'd have to do your homework, which would be meditation homework. And it's been sort of shown on functional MRI scans that after eight weeks of these courses, the brain has actually changed substantially. The, the, the grey matter of the brain has actually increased in volume in the prefrontal cortex. So that says a lot about it. It's not just some hippy-dippy nonsense. The Buddhists um, and the Hindus actually had it right for 2,500 years, even though they didn't necessarily know why. And I, I think it's so, so important for people to look at that almost as a first step if they can start down that route that's what I always recommend to people if you're wondering whether your partner really is a narcissist please do check out my online course is my partner a narcissist knowing for sure And if you want to understand narcissistic behaviours, you may be interested in my Demystifying the Narcissist online course. Both are available on drsapria.com. I agree. And, and, you know, we were talking about the gut instinct. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness is something that's going to get you in touch with Absolutely. your gut. Yeah. Because then you'll start to feel stuff. You'll be able to be more aware of it. Part of my special specialism is neuropsychology. Mm-hmm. So anything to do with the software of the brain, I'm in yeah. there. Mindfulness is beautiful because the moment you do mindfulness, say for 10, 20 minutes, you feel the effects of it immediately mm-hmm. when it's done correctly. Mm-hmm. And when it's done with the correct intention mm-hmm. yeah. to really see the benefits of it in your own personal gray matter, mm-hmm. it's going to be consistency. Yes. So you've got to be doing it every day. Meditation is like the weightlifting of mindfulness. It's like going to the gym. It exercises the brain to grow that you have to do it every day in order to actually then be able to be more mindful in daily life. There's that component in daily life of of trying to be mindful in daily life of what you're actually doing in the moment. But also you need that weightlifting component. You need that 20 minutes or so of meditation every day to keep things going. And it's important also, I think, here to say that meditation isn't about just going into this sort of state of bliss and and avoiding the feelings um, that you're having. It's actually about sort of being present with them and, and seeing them for what they are, seeing them from a different perspective, becoming a master of your thoughts rather rather than a slave to them. I tell you the way I look at it is being able to see things as they really Mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I have got a SoundCloud recordings of these mindfulness exercises that I put on, which are accessible on my website, which are free for everybody. Excellent. Mindfulness is not a relaxation exercise. It's an exercise in being able to see things as they are in your life at that moment when you're doing Mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And whether it's whether it's 
it feels good or whether it feels bad you've got to, it's about accepting what is there regardless of it's rather than chasing the feeling of bliss and thinking oh I didn't do it right I felt anxious well it's it's not about that it's chasing the feeling of bliss isn't actually what mindfulness is about at all if you're anxious then it's about accepting that and and actually being with that absolutely what, what do you think on tapping with you know with EMDR and with um, you know the other types of therapy that we've talked about there's a cost to that you know it costs money to do those things and, and obviously not everyone can afford it but with tapping I know that it's something that people can, can actually do on themselves you know my motto is this if it helps you go ahead and do it as a clinical psychologist however I cannot endorse tapping because it, it hasn't yet met the nice guidelines it hasn't gone through the randomized control trials where it can actually go into the NHS and into the sort of the health service mm. to be used openly. Mm. Uh, so certainly in my practice, I don't do tapping. Okay. Uh, the theory with tapping, just for those who don't know, is that you basically you tap on various defined points on your face and um, I think upper body that you tap on. And essentially, as you tap on these different points, which are known as meridians, it's supposed to help you process thoughts and trauma, etc. But as Daksha says, it hasn't yet been validated by clinical trials. Um, and it's not nice guideline, nice recommended. Um, whereas, of course, mindfulness is Talking about therapy for the victims of narcissistic abuse, you mentioned earlier that if you're going to have EMDR, have EMDR with a clinical psychologist who understands narcissism. Is it true that if a therapist doesn't understand narcissism, um, narcissistic personality disorder, they might actually make things worse for a, a victim of narcissistic abuse, do you think? Absolutely. I, I think it can be very, very damaging. Mm. If a therapist doesn't understand that somebody is going through narcissistic abuse, they will medicalize that person. You know, oh, they've got anxiety and sort of put them in a, in a slot. Right. This is just a person who's anxious. So this is just a person who is depressed without really learning and understanding their story. It's a bit like uh, putting a Band-Aid on uh, something that the moment water goes into it, the Band-Aid falls off. You're not really getting a deeper sense of healing and empowerment coming into the uh, client. I, I think that's so true. And I mean, I can't tell you the number of people that have come to me and said, well, I've tried therapy, I've had it for 10 years, and it's done nothing, you know, and it's because their therapist hasn't understood narcissistic abuse. That's very sad, indeed, that people are uh, hemorrhaging money, thinking that they're doing the right thing, and they may actually be making it worse for themselves. It's the invalidation of the abuse that they've been through or not helping them to even recognise that they've been through abuse because quite often people don't even know that they've they've been in an abusive relationship. It's helping them to see that in the first place and that's part of it, I think. And that's just almost a, an essential first step. Let's take the example of somebody who is feeling burnt out. That's a good one. So a therapist who doesn't understand narcissistic personality disorder will, you know, if they haven't really taken the full history to the extent that I think it would be helpful, mm or if they're not qualified enough. For example, if you make somebody who's going through burnout more resilient and you give them all the tools, then you make them stronger, you get them to be able to stay in the situation that they're in longer. And we're not just talking about uh, intimate relationships. We're also talking about workplace environments where there is a manager or a workplace that's very toxic, that's very unhelpful. And you give them the, the tools then to actually become stronger so they can be in that abusive mm -hmm. situation for even longer, mm -hmm. rather than giving them the insight and the awareness to say, uh, hello, 
this is not healthy. Mm-hmm. What you need to do to equip yourself to leave this situation, remove yourself completely and um, form a life where people are gunning for you. Yeah. Yeah. Does therapy help if they're still undergoing the abusive behaviors um, or do they need to get out for therapy to really help them? Oh, I, I think that therapy is very helpful when they're in. Oh, it. really? Okay. When you're in a narcissistically abusive relationship, your sense of self is being eradicated. Mm-hmm. You know, your sense of who you are is being er- eradicated. The therapist can be a core person in your network if you're in the midst of that narcissistic abuse that's going to truly validate yeah. you and truly empower you to give you the the sense that actually what is happening to me, who I am, I am normal. I'm not a basket mm. case. They need to hear it. If there's, if you're the one person, if the therapist is the one person who's going to give it mm. to them, that's going to then give them the sense of worth, mm-hmm. that sense of actually my, my feelings are valid. Mm-hmm. And then they can slowly start to have the confidence to think that maybe, just maybe, a different life is possible mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm even though they might not be able to, for whatever reason, uh, financial, social, psychological, mm. maybe they don't have the resources to mm. leave that abusive relationship. I still have the utmost compassion for that person. For whatever reason, it might not be safe for them for to leave right mm-hmm. then, but mm. it's safe for them to have a very clear prospect that when the narcissist is then behaving in the way that they're behaving, they have a, almost like an armor that a force field that just goes down to say, not me, it's not me, or whatever it is. I'm not so letting it in. To... Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's so important, isn't it? Because as you say, that the narcissist has invalidated the person and they've devalued them and they've, you know, they've gaslighted them. So they've, they've denied their reality. They've made them sort of feel that they're, they're, they're not entitled to the feelings that they have, that their feelings are wrong, that their thoughts are wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And that the premise for, for being a therapist, that first premise is that unconditional positive regard that the therapist has for the client. Obviously, that's that's hugely validating. They may be the only person that's validating the victim of narcissistic abuse in their lives at that time. My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites, thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.